we are reading through the Bible as a church. In two years, we are almost rounding the corner for year one. We just finished reading Ecclesiastes this past week. And uh, there is some really interesting stuff in there. It's wisdom literature that uh, was written by Solomon for us to glean from. And it's the kind of book you really have to look at the big picture of the book in order to really get the message he's sending. Because if you were to just read one little part of it, it might send you in a weird, <laughs> a weird rabbit trail of life. So it's a really interesting book. I'm excited to preach on that. Last week, if you'll recall, I preached from Proverbs about the power of our words. Both in the things that we say, we choose to say, and the things that we choose not to say. So we saw in Proverbs that the author is constantly talking about the mouth as being like a, like a gate and how we're supposed to post guards at that gate to keep things from coming out that can cause great damage to other people around us. And also, our mouth is like a gate in place of uh, those things that would tear other people down and discourage them. God has called Christians to, by the Holy Spirit within them, you open the gate, send the, send the guards off for a coffee break, and share words of life with each other. Because the Holy Spirit uh, wants to encourage each, each of us through the word of God that we share with a friend, if we share a scripture, share a prayer, or just affirming the truth of who God's made someone to be. There's a real power when you can look into someone's life, and you're in community with them, you know them, you can point out the things that you see God doing in them, affirming their gifts, affirming their part in the body, you know, affirming their ability to follow God. So I'm wondering this week, um, for how many of you was that, did that give you pause as you're going through your week? as far as what you chose not to say. Yeah, it's a good message. It's pretty universally applicable for all of us. We all are tempted to say a lot of things very rashly. It's a human nature thing. And how many of you this week had the privilege of sharing an encouragement with a brother or sister in Christ or someone that doesn't know Jesus? Anyone? Yep, you got a couple. That's great. Consider the power of the tongue. James says, uh, it's like a fire. And it's, it's the least tameable of all of the parts of our body. Wild horses get tamed. Wild horses get tamed. But no one has been able to tame the tongue. And consider what a great force is set ablaze by just a word. For, for good or for evil, God's given us this gift of the tongue. I noticed another really uh, interesting thing about the, the tongue as I was reading in Ecclesiastes. 5, 1 to 7. So I'm going to actually read through these three, three short sections of Scripture. And the, the parts that are highlighted are parts that, that kind of talk about listening and talking. But this sermon is called Wordless Worship. And it has to do also with the things that we say and how we approach God. So Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. And we're going to come back to this. But just listen to the Word of God today with an open heart. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. So what is the sacrifice of fools? Well, it goes on to tell us. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. 
A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. And when it talks about much dreaming, that that seems like something that's hard to define, but if we look in verse 3, it says a dream comes when there are many cares. So much dreaming, uh, the things that we think of are a result of our cares and our anxieties in life. And it says... Much dreaming, much care, much anxiety, and many words we spew can be meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Put your trust in his, in, in his and live in light of his awe and his, and his majesty and his power. Therefore, fear God. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. You ever seen the baby right after the baby's eaten? They're milk drunk. They're content. They're not screaming. They're not just like, yeah. All four of my kids looked exactly like this after they ate. And it's a, cool, it's a cool picture. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Psalm 131 says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. These are the dreams that result from many cares and anxieties. I don't concern myself with these things I cannot control. Instead, I've calmed and quieted myself. I am content in the Lord. I put my hope in the Lord. In Psalm 46.10, I remember, I remember reading Psalm 46 the day that the towers fell in 2001. I went down to the lake, my parents' house, and I read Psalm 46. It, ends, it uh, kind of is punctuated by this verse. He says, God says, Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So here we have three different passages that talk about calming ourselves, becoming still, not chattering on, not being uh, quick to just get on a treadmill of words that end up being meaningless because they're based in our anxieties, our fears. Um, And God's very mouth says, Be still and know that I am God. Even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I am God. Though the waters of the ocean roar and foam, I am God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift and the responsibility that you've given to each of us to walk in awe of you, in holy fear and reverence for who you are. I pray that today you would inspire us to draw near to you with hearts full of faith. 
And we recognize that that passage into your presence was opened up through your love for us, which was expressed through giving Jesus as a substitute for our sins so that we could come into your presence with full confidence and assurance of faith, with even our consciences being sprinkled and made clean so that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. Open our ears today to hear what you are saying to the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this week, I'm continuing on this topic of words and talking about wordless worship, which is the kind of worship that stands in awe and fear and wonder at the reality of God. Today I want to talk to you briefly about the power of not thinking and saying words constantly while in the presence of God, but developing an inner reverence internally and an awe in the midst of the reality of God's presence with us. This is a pretty important, important concept, I think, because wordless worship, this just being still in God's presence, knowing that he is God, that, these things, that many of the things that we're concerned about and anxious about are too great for us anyway, and becoming contented in his presence. This is something that grows faith in us, in, the, in trust of God. Someone that comes to God in prayer, it says in the scripture, must believe that God exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of the reasons we can sit in God's presence without having to say a thing sometimes is because we believe that he's there and we don't believe that our words add anything to him and don't cause him to become anything different than he is. Um, That he is is God, that we can be quieted and stilled even in the midst of the most terrible storm because he is our anchor and our sure foundation. You ever thought about when, when you're praying and you, or you hear people praying, and I hear myself praying, and there's nothing wrong with, with this at all, but we often say, you know, God, we know you're loving because you sent Jesus. And we, we're kind of, it almost sounds like we're trying to convince God of who he is sometimes when we pray, which is an interesting concept. I think it's great to pray those kind, God's attributes back to him as a way of saying, God, I get it. I get who you are. But make no mistake about it. Our words don't cause God to become loving or cause him to become merciful or cause him to be a healer. Our words are simply us affirming the truth of what we know deep down God is. That we are praying from a place of stillness and quietness, knowing that God is in full control. And, and those words are not coming from anxiety or fear, but coming from an affirmation of what we believe to be true. And in those ways, uh, those words resonate. But the faith that we're trying to develop when we come into God's presence, um, just in silence, it's like saying, I do not have to fill my time with God with words. Because silence before God is not awkward like it is with people. Have you ever met with someone and you're asking them questions about themselves and you're hearing their answers and you think to yourself, oh, they're going to ask me a parallel question and we're going to go deeper and have a, have a friendship. And there was no reciprocation. Because that's not how relationships work. To have a, to have a real relationship uh, one person in that relationship has to share something, and then the other person has to kind of affirm that they heard that person, and then share something of equal or less, you know, equal value, equal or greater value, and the ante gets upped, and then pretty soon you have an intimate intimacy, you have a relationship with someone that's not just superficial. It's very awkward when it's one party talking, and uh, and, and they don't take time to listen to the other party. And our relationship with God is really no 
no different from uh, a relationship with other people. We speak to God, and then God speaks back to us. But sometimes we never get to that place of really hearing from God because we haven't stilled ourselves enough to really glean from him. And that's what wordless worship is all about. It's not that we are sitting in an empty space and just, you know, being quiet and nothing's happening. As we, as the psalmist says, are still and know that he is God, um, deep, deep in our hearts, the reality of who God is and what he's saying in his whisperings um, stills us inwardly. And there's something about being in that silent presence of God and anchoring yourself to who he is in confidence that really uh, centers us as people because we are supposed to find our security in that relationship. And it's not awkward. Uh, I guess the encouragement from the scriptures is we don't have to keep on talking and talking and talking. There's a time for talking and there's a time to be silent in God's presence and realize, you know what? He is God. There are things that are too great for me. I'm overwhelmed by my life, and when I begin to pray, it just goes through all of my problems, through all of the things that are happening, and I, I'm just pouring out, pouring out, wondering, is anyone really hearing me? Well, wordless worship says, I can sit in God's presence. He knows everything. He exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. And this is a posture of faith. Let's look again at Ecclesiastes 5, 1-7. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they are doing. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, saying, My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. I think what Solomon is trying to convey in this passage is that without some silence and stillness to our prayer life with God, we speak too many words. And because of our innate personal agenda that we have inside of us, I mean, we all come to prayer, you know, with some level of agenda where we're telling God our to-do list and things that we need to be done. Um, We often say words to God which are unwise, And in this case, in this passage, uh, in a time when vows were considered, you know, your word was your, was you were bound to your word, which I'm not sure if that is necessarily any different now. I think that vows are still very important that we make, up to and including your marriage vows, so you married people. (laughs) Um, but, But people would make hasty vows and promises to God without taking time to listen, without taking time to, to be still and know that he was God. And because of their innate personal agenda, they vow to do things that they shouldn't. So Solomon's advice is that we should not allow our mouth to lead us into sin, but should instead let our words be few. Not, not, doesn't, doesn't mean you're counting them, saying, okay, I have ten words to talk to God. This is not a legalistic practice. But let your words be few, meaning recognize who God is and who you are not. When we express faith in this way in God's presence, our reverence for the reality of 
God's presence and lordship in our life, in our lives, allows our agenda to become set by our Heavenly Father in prayer. And this simple act guards us from many fruitless activities and even disaster in our lives. We all come to God with an agenda. It says in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, passage, A dream comes when there are many cares, and much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. And we've got all kinds of thoughts in our mind. This is how life is supposed to look, God. We make decisions before we talk to God about what we should do, and then we pray to God, ask him to make our decisions, things that we want to happen, happen. But God is challenging us to take some time in silence in his presence and to let him set the agenda for our prayer life, to take what we know of God from Scripture and starting there, letting the word of God found in Scripture set some of the agenda of our prayer lives. Because it might not be that God is not answering your questions. It might be that you're asking the wrong questions based on the wrong priorities. And we have to come to God, um, realizing that he is in heaven and we are on earth. There are things too marvelous for us to understand. And we need to get that inner stillness to say, you are God. I am like a weaned child. I am at peace because you are the Lord. And regardless of what I need financially, regardless of what I need health-wise or in my relationships or what deficiencies I'm experiencing in my life that are causing me pain, none of those things change that God is who he is. And so even in the midst of great suffering in our lives, when unthinkable tragedy comes upon us or when we become discouraged, when we are begin to lose heart, even in those moments, we can be like that weaned child when we practice stillness in God's presence, that he is God, that he is Lord, and that we are safe and secure in him and in his love. And that's an amazing uh, spiritual height to, to rise to, I think. To think that through even this, I will not fear, for God is with me. I will not be uh, dismayed, because I am his. He will strengthen me, he will help me, he will uphold me. To have the faith in the word of God, even in the midst of great suffering in life. So Solomon's advice is, number one, recognize God is highly exalted, and he is the Lord. He sets the agenda. We don't necessarily set the agenda. We can start with our stuff, but at some point we need to be still and see what God is saying to us in his word, by his spirit. We need to come to that place of stillness. And therefore, do not be too quick to say a bunch of words at God. But instead, let your words be few when you come into the presence of the Lord. This is not a teaching saying, don't share your heart with God. This is a teaching saying, before you get to a place where you are talking a lot, center yourselves in the reality of who God is. And from that place, begin to talk to him. Therefore, go near to God in order to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, a bunch of words containing your agenda, your own personal dreams for your life, which are a result of your many cares and worries. It's okay to have cares and worries and, and, and anxieties about life. We need to come to God um, first recognizing that he is sovereign, that he loves us, and after we come to that place uh, to um, reflect back to him a prayer of faith. I love Psalm 131. And what, what an amazing image this is. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, New Life Fellowship, the Church of God, 
Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Rob Reimer, in his book, River Dwellers, is quoted as saying that sometimes we actually quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives because we aren't developing ears to hear him. We may be too busy. Everyone's busy, but Jesus was busy too. The difference is Jesus managed to live a busy life with an unhurried soul. He never let his outward activity interfere with his inner quiet. He still had uh, a center that allowed him to hear God's still, small voice. He didn't allow the demands of people's needs to rob him of his alone time with the Father. He would get up while it was still dark to meet alone with the Father, and it was these moments alone with the Father in the still of the morning that allowed Jesus to carry a quietness in his soul, even in the busyness of life. We can't create inner quietness without outer quietness. If we take time in solitude and silence, we can carry our inner quietness into the outer world. If we don't cultivate that inner quiet by being alone with God, then we never put ourselves in a position to be available to the Spirit. It is hard to develop sensitivity to his still, small voice if we are constantly living in inner noise. We have to intentionally develop sensitivity to his voice. My wife gave me some great advice yesterday as I was talking to her about the season that I'm in and, and what God's doing in my life. She gave me great advice that's hard advice, and that is to go to God in the midst of what he's doing in me, the pain, some of the suffering, some of the, the struggles that I'm having, and to sit in his presence and let him do the work that only he can do in me. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what you're going through. He is the Lord. He wants to do a work in us, but often we cannot still ourselves or quiet ourselves enough to begin to, to even perceive that. Scripture is a great comfort in this way. Reading through, through Romans, Corey shared some from Romans this morning about who we are in Christ and how nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. These are the kind of truths that allow us to still ourselves and remember who God is. Um, Buchner says that what deadens us most to God's presence within us is the inner dialogue that we are continuously engaged in with ourselves, the endless chatter of human thought. And I suspect there's nothing more crucial to true spiritual comfort than being able to, from time to time, stop that chatter, including the chatter of spoken prayer, if we choose to seek the silence of the holy place or to open ourselves to its seeking, I think there is no surer way than to keep silent. God knows we are no good at it, but we keep trying. And once or twice, if we're lucky, um, we get there. He says, I've been conscious but not conscious of anything, not even of myself. I've been surrounded by the whiteness of snow. I have heard a stillness that encloses all sounds, stilled the way whiteness encloses all colors, stilled the way wordlessness encloses all words, stilled. I have sensed the presence of a presence. I have felt a promise promised. I like to believe that once or twice, at times like those, I have bumbled my way into at least the outermost suburbs of the truth that can never be told but only come upon, that can never be proved but only lived for and loved. If we keep our ears open, God speaks to us his saving word. So, we have a problem. We're constantly chattering, full of anxiety, and we come to God in that kind of way. And we fail to achieve this inner stillness and deep faith and, and fear and wonder in God's presence, being still and knowing that he is God. And the chatter is in, internal and external. And it's composed of our personal dreams, our desires, our needs, our wants in life. They're, they're not bad things, but those things can become very loud to the point that we can't really pray. But the opportunity God's given us 
is we can follow Jesus' example and spend time in unhurried stillness with the Father, and in so doing, cultivate contentedness and stillness. Our fruitless dreams can then be replaced with God's agenda for our lives, that we can begin to pray in concert, in unison, uh, with what the Lord wants for us, his will. We achieve this through silence by ourselves in God's presence. So here's the challenge this week. Recognizing this is a terribly difficult um, discipline to carry out in our culture. Nonetheless, here's what I would challenge you to do, as I'm challenging myself to do. is to take three five-minute silence breaks in your day. And believe me, it will feel like much more than five minutes if you're not used to doing this. Take three five-minute retreats each day, total of 15 minutes to start, five minutes before you go to work, praying, just praying, God, I know that you're here. I'm going to spend time in your presence, silent. Let your heart settle, being still, knowing that he is God. Five minutes before you re-enter your house. So when you get home from work, sit in the driveway with the heat on, turn off the radio, Take five minutes to recognize he is the Lord, he is God. And five minutes before you go to sleep at night. That can be in your bed. If you have four kids like we do, you could be sitting on the toilet with the doors locked, which is the only place to get peace. So the the toilet gift that Corey talked about really resonated with me. Um, You 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 don't have to be using it, just locked in there. It's a safe room. (laughs) It's a a bomb shelter from children. (laughs) Five minutes before you go to sleep. So 15 minutes a day, three five-minute times, before you go to work, before you re-enter your household, before you go to sleep. You will be tempted to fill every second of those 15 minutes with words. And when you stop speaking, your brain will replace all the words you normally speak with its own ideas. An agenda. But begin to still yourself and practice the stillness in God's presence. This is not anything like the Eastern religions that talk about being, you know, the nothingness and, and achieving enlightenment and emptying yourself of all thoughts and minds. You are interacting with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, each Christian, um, it may say in Ecclesiastes, he is God in heaven and we are here on earth. Let our words be few, but he is God within us through the Holy Spirit. So he is closer than your breath. Come to God realizing he is close. Confess to him, this is not easy, but I want to hear your voice. I want to cultivate stillness in your presence. And just listen. And see if it doesn't change your day, your week. See if it doesn't change how you respond to things that happen to you that are difficult. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a chorus. 
And as they do that, let's just take a couple moments, even now, to sit in the Lord's presence. Whatever it takes to rid yourself of those distractions. You know, close your eyes and just think to yourself, He is God. He loves me. I am a child of God. And then listen.